Amen. Good morning. How are we? Good, good, good. Hey, God is good to allow us to gather together to have a family of believers to chase after him. Amen? Amen. That's just such a good gift. So I'm excited to be here with you all this morning. I actually want to just go ahead and dive right in. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, and if you do not have a Bible, um, then in a couple of minutes, the ushers just collected the offering, so give them a second. But uh, they'll be coming forward with some Bibles. And when they come forward, you can just slip your hand up. Uh, and if you need a Bible, feel free to take and keep that as our gift to you. And so um, we want you to have the word to be able to use it uh, during the week. And so if you do not own a Bible, then, man, take that one home. Like, we want you to have it, all right? You can also follow along on your, uh, on your phone if you have the Bible app underneath the events section. Type in the Well Austin. You can follow along that way. If you don't know what the Bible app is, you can just take this uh, link, put it right into your browser. You'll be able to follow along that way as well. Um, so we want your eyes on the word, all right? We say that every week. We mean that. We want you to see we're not kind of making this up. We're not trying to be cute. We're not uh, just walking through things that we just like to walk through. And But like we actually want to submit to the word of God and believe that it has the power to really change our lives. And so um, especially, I'll go ahead and say, on today. Today's like, uh, today's, today, all right, days like today, uh, where we're talking about just a really, really tough topic uh, on multiple fronts, okay, and we're talking about uh, the topic of abortion. So we're in the third week of our Justice and Mercy series, and we're talking about issues of people who have been marginalized or hurt in some way, shape, or form, and this is a tough topic, obviously, because it is a politically charged topic in a lot of ways, and uh, there's also a lot of shame that is uh, bringing forth within this realm. And so for many people, they uh, may have had abortions themselves. They may have called others to get abortions. A boyfriend may have called a girlfriend to get an abortion. And there's just a lot of shame that is kind of surrounding this topic. In fact, uh, the stats tell us that one in three women by age 45 in America will actually have an abortion. And so I'm not ignorant to the fact that this is a heavy topic, nor am I ignorant to the fact that if we have 250 people in here, that means that we have a lot, a lot of women, and that means that there are probably a lot of people and men who are, who are wrestling with this in some way. And so I want to start off by saying two things right off the bat, okay, before we even dive in so that we can kind of set pace for today, all right? The first thing is that I want you to stick with me, okay? Stick with me through the end. This is a tough topic, and there may be things that immediately may make you even cringe a little bit, or maybe you feel yourself wanting to disagree, and I would encourage you to stick with me for two reasons. One, we may land at a place that maybe even you don't fully agree with, but I hope that as you see it kind of laid out in Scripture and as you see the way that the Bible calls Christians to think about a topic like this as a whole, I hope it will at least make sense, and I hope you'll hear the compassion that Christians are commanded by Christ to carry forth with this issue, okay? I think a lot of times what we see in the media is a lack of actual compassion, but the scripture actually screams at us to have compassion. And so stick with us because at minimum, I hope you hear that within this, all right? Secondly, no, by no means are we making any sort of political statement today, all right? As Christians, we should not be for abortion of any kind, and we should have a strong stance against this. However, this does not necessarily necessitate that we are a part of a certain political party, whatever that may look like. In fact, one of the reasons that this issue has been slowed down so much as a mercy and justice issue is because it is so politicized, and because there's so much emotion that's wrapped up within it, it really slows down the process as a whole, okay? And so I want to say up front that those two things are not tied together, 
right? Like just like last week, we talked about the refugee and our compassion toward the refugee and our need to extend mercy and grace toward the refugee. Like we weren't making like a democratic claim, right? Like, like we're making a biblical claim. And today, as we say, we need to be against abortion of any kind. We're not making a Republican claim. We're making a scriptural claim. In fact, we line those two up back to back on purpose so that you can see that we're not trying to make one claim one way or another. And what happens is, is that we end up believing what people force feed us a lot of times. And we have been force fed by the media that in order to be against abortion, you have to automatically be a Republican, let's say. And that is not necessarily true. Those two things are not automatically wed together. You can be democratic in your ideology of politics and still be against abortion because you're a believer in Christ and you believe what the scriptures say. And so I don't want to tie those two things together, right? You may be a Republican and against abortion and, 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 and that's great, right? But you would also be called to love, take care of, uh, uh, extend yourself for the refugee like last week. And so scripture grates against our culture in a lot of ways and sometimes in ways that we get uncomfortable with. But this is a Christian issue, not a political issue. You tracking with that? Okay, so I want to lay that groundwork up front, all right? Like, like we're not making some claim here, and so please do not hear that, okay? Ultimately, this is an Imago Day issue. Ultimately, this is about the image of God and what that means and what that looks like because we are talking about the destruction of or the taking away of human life in its most vulnerable state, and Christians need to be ready to handle this and to tackle this, all right? And so if you have your Bibles, flip over to Genesis chapter 1. And you'll realize that every single one of these sermons has started off in this exact same text. And we're doing that for a reason, because every issue that we're tackling is an Imago Dei issue. It's the image of God, all right? And this is one of them. And so Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them right? God created us. And so when life is formed, it is God that is the one that is forming life, okay? Now, unless we think that this is just the first man and the first woman of Adam and Eve, I want to automatically flip over to Psalms. So go to Psalm 139. And in Psalm 139, you see David writing here. And David obviously is way after the time of Adam and Eve. And he says this, beginning in verse 13, for you, this is God, formed me in my inward parts, You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet they were none of them. Okay? And so God forms intricately and intimately. He is creating every single individual human life long within the womb, right? So this means that in a lot of ways, pregnancy actually carries this sense of intimacy, this sense of almost divine uh, 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 interaction within it, right? Like, like we have lots of pregnant people right now, okay? If you don't want to get pregnant, don't drink the coffee, all right? Sorry if you're already drinking it, okay? But a lot, a lot of people, like, I want you to think about this, like, for real, Okay? You don't know the color of your baby's eyes right now. You don't know their hair color. You don't know if they're going to come out with cheeks overflowing or kind of thin, right? You don't know really the weight of it. You don't know how long it is. You don't really know anything about your child. God does. God already knows that baby's eye color. 
He already knows the hair color. In fact, this scripture says that he knows them so well that he's already beginning to form out their days for them. If you remember Acts chapter 17, verse 26, it says that God actually takes our boundaries and he uh, 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 supersedes over us and he directs our boundaries so that we may have the best opportunity at finding out who he is. Like, Like God is intimate and intricate in the very creation process of a human life. This is beautiful because that means God is interacting even with the person who does not believe in Jesus, has no care of God. It is still God that is creating and that is doing, that is wolving together in the mother's womb. God longs for intimacy, friends. We literally see it in something very natural like pregnancy, which is not very natural at all. It's actually very divine in some ways. The creating of life where there was nothing, now there is something. We actually get to image and reflect God in that, right? Now, we can also get tricked to think that this is just poetry. So let's flip over to Jeremiah chapter 1, okay? I want to show us that this is all throughout the scriptures. Jeremiah is in a couple of books forward, and it's one of the major prophets. And after the book of Isaiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, he says this. This is God speaking. He says, before I formed you, once again, there it is, in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So here, once again, God is the one that forms Jeremiah and even called him into ministry before he was born, right? Like like Jeremiah at this point was kind of doubting whether or not he should go in. And God said, hey, listen, I actually created you. I actually uh, predetermined works for you. I knew you and I know you right now. I was intimate from the very beginning. You don't have to fear right? And so we see God being intricate in literally the womb of a woman, and without God, the things of life would not be possible, for he is the author of life, the scriptures say. And so as God as the author of life, he's the one that is creating within the womb. And so really this is an Imago Dei issue because in the destruction of that life, then we are destroying an image bearer of God, somebody who God has set forth works in. Really, in a lot of ways, friends, we're actually playing God at that time. And as Christians, we are called to be a people of justice, to help people who have been oppressed or to help people who cannot help themselves. And all throughout Scripture, we see this command over and over and over again that our faith is a faith that is very active. It's not just personal, but we actually give ourselves away for the sake of others. And so God gives the Christian power or blessings or influence or money or whatever it may be, not to consume them only for our own consumption, but rather to give them away that others may be empowered through them. And we see this over and over and over again. The ultimate expression is obviously Christ himself, who had all power, all riches, all blessing, all glory forever and ever, and laid all of it down so that we who had none of that stuff may now have it in him. Christ, the all-powerful, became weak so that we who are weak may be powerful. And we see that this is the call of a Christian is to do this over and over. And so no human can fight for themselves less than babies in the womb. There is no human that is as weak as that human. And so if we are to be a people who use our strength to protect those who are weak, there is no human that is as weak as this human, that is as vulnerable as the unborn. Christianity tells us the powerful should give up some of their power, the powerless may feel powerful. That the comforted should give up some of their comfort so that those who are uncomfortable may be comforted with the comfort that we have in Christ. And all throughout the scriptures, we see this command to lay ourselves down, right? And there's no one more helpless than a baby that is completely dependent on that mother taking care of him or her. 
And so what a great privilege that we have to be able to protect them. But the sad state is that they're not protected. By law, they're not protected. This is a, a sad, sad state, right? In fact, friends, out of all of the casualties of war combined in all of American history, so if you take from when we became a nation and all the wars that we fought and all the casualties that those wars have had, we think about the, the, the crazy World War II and all the people whose lives were laid down, or, or maybe you guys have been watching that Kim Burns documentary on Vietnam, right? And we see, like, man, was this like a, a, an even a just war? We see all the lives that were laid down. There are more babies aborted in one year in America than in all the casualties of every war combined. 3,300 babies per day are aborted in the States, okay? 3,300 each day. Like, like, this is for real, a justice issue, right? If we believe that that is actually life. And if we believe that God, the author of life, is actually doing something that is an image bearer of himself. Now, what tends to happen within this is that we tend to take one or two argumentative sides to this, okay? We either take a scientific approach to it, or without realizing it, we actually take a faith-based approach to it. And I'm not talking about from a Christian side, I'm talking about from a pro-choice side. We either take a scientific approach to say, hey, this is just tissue, or, or we're not really destroying life, and we, we talk about it scientifically, or we actually take a faith-based approach. I think that I should do what I want with my body right? Or I believe that the laws should interact like this, or, or I believe that the mother should get to decide. And so think and belief and feeling, they would come into play. And what we don't realize is that we're actually making faith claims when we do this. And so what I want to do is I want to actually tackle both sides of that issue some. I want to tackle the scientific side, all right, and then the faith-based side and show how Christianity gives a whole other perspective holistically to this, okay? From the scientific side, the argument has pretty much all but ended, all right? When Roe v. Wade first came into play, science was lagging aggressively behind where it is today. However, what we now see is that science is actually finally catching up to Scripture, and they're realizing that life truly does begin at conception, okay? Back when this law was created, we did not have the technology, we did not have the ability to fully be able to see that, which, by the way, side note, Christians, okay, you never have to be ashamed of the Word of God. It has never proven false. In fact, if you are wrestling with faith in here, one of the things that was most encouraging for me when I was first coming to know the Lord is I looked at all of the things that science had debunked in the Bible in the past 700 years, and in the past 700 years, there are all these claims, and always within, like, sometimes as early as 10 years, sometimes it takes as much as about 200 years, but always science grows and it develops, and all of a sudden, what was debunking Scripture actually comes back and they go, oh, wait a minute, never mind, it actually supports Scripture's claim. Right? And so even this issue is said, well, this isn't life, right? There, 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 there's just cells, it's just a fetus, there's nothing happening, and then all of a sudden science starts catching up and they realize, oh, wait a minute. Right? Like, like this is actually life. And so you can, you can uh, have confidence in the scripture, right? We know that science is not against the Bible for God is the ultimate chemist who created the atoms within the atom within the first atom, right? 
God is the ultimate astronomer who created the stars and knows how many they are. We're still finding out about galaxies we didn't know existed, and we will keep doing that, right? No, God already knows them all, and so it's not against it. Scripture is very, very clear on this. It's finally science that's catching up with the word, okay? So time, as time has gone on, it's become more and more clear. And in fact, if you listen to the arguments of the pro-choice movement, what has happened is that uh, over time, they've become less scientific and more faith-based, or I believe-based, or I feel-based, and we'll get to that in a minute, okay? But science has exposed that the exterminating of a pregnancy is indeed the murdering of an individual life. And I know that's strong language, but if it's life, then it's murder, okay? On day one, science tells us that fertilization happens, and all of the human chromosomes are present, which constitutes life, okay? I want you to think about it like this. We go to Mars, and if we find an amoeba, we're like, life, right? But all of a sudden, when there is way more than just one of those little tiny things that aren't even really alive, like, like we can see that there's everything that's needed for life, somehow that's not life. I know the church is hypocritical, friends, but come on. The hypocrisy within that is shameful, honestly, right? Within day one, everything that's needed for life is there. We see it at conception. By day 22, long before any woman tends to realize that they're pregnant, all right, the baby has its own blood, completely separated from the mother. In fact, the baby at that point often has its own blood type. And so we see that it's not actually a part of the mother's body. It is something totally different, separated from the body. By week five, their eyes, legs, and hands have developed. By week six, which is finally when women begin to realize they're pregnant, take pregnancy tests, things like that, there's brain activity in the baby. Now, I don't need to be or mean to be vulgar here in this statement, but I do really want to make a point within this. One of the things that we really struggle with in terms of life is when somebody is connected to a machine that's keeping them alive, we struggle or not with whether to pull the plug. We, to use a vulgar term, would call that like when they're a vegetable, right? We just, ah, oh gosh, it's just this machine keeping them. And we struggle. Why? Because we know that's life. This baby has their own brain activity. It is not connected to a machine. It's not, they are functioning in and of themselves. And while there is somebody supporting their life, there is their own life in and of, and yet we don't struggle with it here for some reason. Um, nearly all abortions happen after this week. By week eight, every organ is in place and their bones and everything is forming. By week 11, they can actually grab an object because their senses are present, their reflexes are working. Many doctors, in fact, some doctors would say that as early as week six, a baby can feel pain. And not to get vulgar once again, but if you look at how abortions are done, that is a very painful process, limbs being ripped from limbs. By week six, a lot of argue, nearly every doctor argues that by week eight, but for sure, every single medical profession says by week 12, they definitely feel pain for they recoil when something like pricks them, right? And so this baby is living, active, breathing. And so everything we know about life and everything that science would say constitutes life, it says that, hey, this actually happens immediately upon conception. Now listen, friends, okay, I want you to listen. We're not even talking about the soul or the spirit, right? Like we're just talking about flesh. The human, like, like we're not even getting into the spiritual realm because we're only talking scientific right now, so only things we can study and measure. Like, like literally the flesh, just what constitutes life. And so let's actually lay aside all the spiritual, what happens to that person's soul, what is going on with their spirit, like just the flesh. We say, no, 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 that, that baby's alive, right? And so science tells us that to unpoliticize the word, 
that we are killing life, which would be murder, is what the scripture says, and even our laws say. What happens, though, is that we tend to create language so that we don't have to express what's actually happening, which is why I'm being very direct this morning, right? We try to dehumanize something that is very clearly a human, and so we don't call it a baby, we call it a fetus, right? We don't, call, we don't kill the baby, we end the pregnancy. And as you try to dehumanize something, what it does is it actually sears our consciousness so that we are able to perform something that inside we know there's something wrong with this. Like this probably shouldn't be. This is why they called blacks property. Because in order to actually dehumanize them, as they watch this living, breathing human cry and sweat and bleed, and they did all the same things that they did, but they dehumanized them so that they can own them, so that they can get what they wanted out of it. And it's the exact same thing here. When we dehumanize something and call it property, essentially, then all of a sudden we are able to go about this, okay? Which, small side note here, but I feel like I needed to mention this, okay? If you are a person of color in this room, if you are black or if you are Hispanic especially, okay, you need to wake up around this topic here. You need to wake up, all right? This has been the genocide of our people for centuries. 52% of abortions that happen happen within the black and Hispanic community, even though we only make up 26% of America. Did you hear that, right? 80% of Planned Parenthoods, which is the number one abortion provider in the states, 80% of Planned Parenthoods are right in the middle of in, uh, communities that are black or Hispanic pr uh, predominantly. The another 11% uh, of them are within mixed communities. So like the one that's here in East Austin, they would consider it mixed because gentrification has been happening. But we know that that wasn't mixed even just 15 years ago. So it's not mixed. It was in a black and Hispanic community, right? And so only 9% of, of what's happening is, is, is actually outside of that. In fact, Margaret Sanger, who helped create Planned Parenthood as its founder, she once said, all of our problems are the result of overbreeding among the working class. In fact, look at this quote, it's on the screen. She said, we should hire three or four colored ministers, preferably with social service backgrounds and with engaging personalities. The most successful education approach to the Negro is through a religious appeal. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. You need to be woke, friends, and recognize what's happening here and what the history of all this is and how this even got legalized and who legalized it. And if you just do a little bit of education, you'll realize that this is not just some weird social issue. This was literally an experiment to exterminate us. And the minister is the man who can strengthen or straighten out the idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. In other words, if anybody's actually woke and they begin to realize, wait a minute, they're actually just exterminating our people, then the minister can come and say, no, 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 that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening. And so they hired ministers early on. If you even look at the awards, the, the Margaret Sanger Award, if you look at who they have given it to historically, it is always a people with some sort of colored influence to, to I believe, shield the eyes in some ways. Now, that may not be what's happening today, but, but this is the history, friends. And anytime you build on that crappy foundation, then it's going to shatter and fall apart. And that's the foundation that this was built on. And if you're white and you say you care about racial reconciliation, but you close your mouth here, 
my people are being killed because of a lack of information and because of a lack of provisional, very simple needs. And we need to wake up around this. Now what happens is, is that because science has caught up with this argument, and because science is now saying, hey, actually at day one there's something happening here, then what's begun to shift is it has begun to be a, a faith type of argument. I believe I have the right to do what I want with my body, or I believe that, 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 that I have the right to an abortion. And the problem is that the baby inside of you is not your body. It's a body in and of itself. And we never think about the rights of the baby, only the rights of the woman who had the baby. But it becomes all this belief-based thing. And once again, both science and scripture proclaims that this thing inside of us is not just a thing, but a being. It's a person. This rang most clear to me, the, the faith argument, about three years ago. About three years ago, uh, my wife and I, we suffered a miscarriage. And um, it was obviously a hard time for our family. And about two or three days later, I was in a coffee shop um, and I was just sitting there, and I saw this, uh, this individual that I know, and, you know, told her that, hey, that, that had happened. I don't know why that came out. I think she asked me how we were doing, and um, I, I don't know how that came out, but came out that, hey, we, we suffered a miscarriage, and, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry, and she started crying. I started tearing up a little bit, and it was like, oh, it's just so painful. It's so bad. I really feel for Natalie, and going on and on and on, and we started talking for about a half hour, and about 15 minutes to the conversation, you know how conversations go, it slowly we started veering and it ended up on the topic of abortion. And this individual had had three abortions before and saw nothing wrong with abortion. And so now we're sitting here talking about abortion and I'm kind of like, no, it's life, you know. Honestly, I don't really feel like talking about this right now. And, and we're kind of going on and on about it. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the, the, the dichotomy that's existing here, right? Like, like she always called the baby that we lost a baby. Every time she used that language, but she never called the aborted babies babies. Okay, she called them fetuses or some other language like that. She was literally crying and grieving with us over here, but here justifying and saying, no, 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 it's okay. And as I'm sitting here trying to like figure it out, you know, sometimes like your brain's overloaded and I'm like, I can't put language to it. And then it just clicked. I thought, oh my gosh. And I've realized it ever since that this faith, this belief argument, this I can do what I want argument, the difference between our baby that was lost and her baby that was terminated is want. Want. Because we wanted our baby, it was valuable, and there were tears shed, and it was a baby. Because she did not want her baby, it was a fetus. It could be terminated, and my gosh, if you do not see the dangerous thought process of saying that want is what creates value in a human life, you are missing it. Every single atrocity that has happened throughout all of human history is linked to that same thing, whether or not the person is wanted, valued, and so the blacks weren't as wanted, they weren't as valuable, or the Germans weren't as, want, or the, the Jews weren't as wanted or as valuable, or whatever it may be. There's always the exact same issue, and we can try to overcoat and act like that's not the same thing, but friends, this is literally what's happening. And if you listen, if you, if you tune your ears, you'll realize that all of it has to do with want, right? Like, 
if you do not want an autistic kid, then you can abort him. But if I were to kill an autistic kid, then I would get jail time because the family wanted him. <laughs> Once again, there are laws that protect this, right? If I go up to a woman right now and I, and I accidentally kill the baby that is inside of her, it is called manslaughter. If I purposely kill the baby that's inside of her, it is called murder. But yet a doctor can make a salaried living doing this over and over and over again. What's the difference? One mom wanted him. One mom did not. All of the faith and belief arguments on this side all center around the idea of want. In fact, the scriptures actually would affirm our culture in making some of these laws. If you look at Exodus 21, you don't have to turn there, it'll be on the screen. But if you look at Exodus 21, this is the chapter after the Ten Commandments. And starting in verse 22, it says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, then the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall oppose on him, and he shall pay the judge as the judge determines. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. It is murder, is what Scripture is saying. The life has been killed, right? And so we actually are affirming the very thing that Scripture would affirm, right? And there's the same laws in America, but what's the difference? Well, one is want and one doesn't. And don't you see the danger of this belief system? Don't you see the danger of this faith system? This is a dangerous thinking. It is a thinking that we get to play God, and all of what we say is determined on our wants or, or what we think or, or what we believe. No moral outside can tell us what we get to do with our bodies or, or with our thinking or whatever it may be. Want does not create a human being. God does. Want does not create something valuable. Just because somebody may not be wanted, they are valued because they are made in the image of our God. And we have to see that. We have to see that as believers, that Christians recognize even the most unwanted thing in the world is valuable before God. In fact, even things that aren't human will be redeemed one day, the scripture says. Even our creation will be redeemed. If you look at the, the movement in like the Indian church movement, the, it started with the untouchables, people that nobody wanted in that culture. And the Christians came in and said, we want you. God wants you, God created you, he loves you, you're not untouchable, you are beautiful before God. And they all heard the gospel and they were coming in to know Christ our king. Want does not create value, God does. And every single person, no matter your race, ethnicity, no matter your, your socioeconomic level, no matter how smart you are, no matter if you uh, have all your mental capacity or, or not, no matter what it is, you are valuable before God, our creator, because he loves you and he intricately made you. That's what our faith tells us. And we have to recognize the danger behind that other faith, Right? that they just don't want kids or they don't want the lifestyle that this produces. They want their, their comforts or their freedom and that, that the kids end up uh, dragging that down a lot of times. So they, they want to live the lifestyle that produces kids, but they don't want the kids themselves. Or maybe it's actually masked in what would seem to be like, a, like no, 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 we care about the kid because they're going to be born in, into this financial poverty or, or they're going to be born into a bad situation as if being dead is better than being alive and at least having a chance. <laughs> We have to recognize the danger behind this, friends. It's dangerous. And we as Christians have to step up and protect and do something, right? This happened in the Bible as well. 
And we wouldn't call it abortion, but we would say the exact same thing. Solomon, who was David's son, actually allowed Jerusalem to do something that Leviticus 20 explicitly denied. And it was called the worship of Molech. And there's a picture actually here that I wanted to throw up. This was called Molech. And what you would do is that if you did not want a child, then you would offer him or her as a sacrifice to Molech. And actually, the, the only uh, off thing about this picture is that archaeologists have found that Molech's hands would have been up, kind of like this. And what you would do is you would, you would place the baby in the hands, and it would slide down Molech into his stomach, and there was fire in his stomach, and it would burn the baby alive, and you would burn it as a sacrifice. And what you would pray as you were offering the baby, the, the priest would lay hands on the baby and pray for the person's comfort or for their financial prosperity or for their blessing or, or their peace or whatever it may have been. And we love to think that we're so much more civilized than ancient civilizations, but don't you see that it is the exact same thing? We abort the baby because of our blessing, our comfort, our financial stability, our, our peace, whatever it may be. And so we may not ask it from a false god, but we are asking it from a false doctor. We're asking it from somebody else because this is what we want, comfort, whatever it may be. Ultimately, what happens is that we become the ultimate sovereign, and we determine what is life and what is not. Friends, the faith argument is sheer cruelty. It's sheer cruelty. And the Christian faith is clear that our responsibility to humanity supersedes our wants. Did you hear that? Our responsibility to humanity supersedes our wants. We don't care what you want, Christ would say. Pick up your cross and come and follow me. You have to lay down your wants and give it to others that they may be lifted up for this is how you came into the faith in the first place. And so Christianity says we need to lay down those so that others may be built up, right? Or what happens is we tend to make this a woman's rights issue, like we're denying women freedom, yet the real woman's rights that should be considered is the woman in the, ba in, in the womb, the baby. Because do you know that 37% more females are aborted than males? Why? Because males are shown to be more wanted. And so you can abort the woman because who cares? She's not really wanted anyway. She can't drive the family. She can't lead the family, whatever it may be. And so there's 37% more female abortions than male abortions. Friends, if you want to fight for women's rights, then fight for them. That's where it is. Because more of them are being denied in the womb than anywhere else in our country. This is the faith argument is cruelty, Okay. And there's no choice given to the one that's actually a victim at all. The one that actually we should be thinking about is thought none about. I, uh, I, once, I once knew a woman who, she got pregnant and she was encouraged to get an abortion. And she got pregnant when she was 16 and so it kind of made sense. She was in high school and there was just not a lot of, of, of uh, stability around them, right? She actually got pregnant by a guy who ended up going to jail for uh, selling crack, okay? He went to juvie actually. He just got out and he was still kind of in that crowd a little bit and in that mix. And so she got pregnant by him. The financial stability was terrible. She was on government assistance, Right? There was a, a, a living in essentially what would be the projects, okay? near homelessness many times in her life. And she continually got encouraged by her family members to get an abortion. And over and over and over again, the, the, the people would encourage her, she needs to get an abortion. But she had the kid, okay? 
And it was really, really hard in a lot of ways because they were born into poverty, right? In fact, one of the stories that the kid picked up a heroin needle really early on and she like smacked him and was like, what are you doing, <laughs> right? Never touch that again. Like she's picked up in this, this terrible uh, uh, situation, but she gave that kid a chance. And I'm deeply glad she did because that was my mom. And now I have three daughters that I get to behold and love and I have a church that I freaking love and I have a wife that I would die for and I have purpose and meaning and I'm so dang glad that she did not listen to the family members that were encouraging her to abort me because it wouldn't be the best situation. It wasn't. And now I'm here. Every person should get the chance of life. Every person should get that opportunity. My mom, my dad, my grandparents, nobody had the right to terminate my life. And praise God that she stood fast. Praise God that she stayed faithful, right? Our excuses is just that. They're excuses usually. There's so much more we can say around this, but I hope you see the perspective, right, that we have to have around this issue. Abortion is wrong. It is a taking of a life. Scripture is clear. Science is clear. The faith argument, you should not get to decide at the expense of another human when we get to make decisions. This is not a good thing. And so what do we do from here? Okay? I know this is heavy. So, so what do we do in light of this? A couple of things. One, church. Okay? Just like with the refugee and just like with racial reconciliation, you need to step up when you see a wrong. You need to step up. See, I said early on, it's really easy to talk about racial reconciliation or how much you hate Donald Trump because all of the media and the culture, they all agree with you. But here you might be ostracized. So what? You have a God who will justify you. And you have to stand behind the word of God and believe in him that one day all wrong things will be made right. And we believe that we can bring, bring the kingdom of heaven down onto earth as it is in heaven so we can fix this issue today. We don't have to wait for eternity. Today we can be kingdom builders. You have to stand up when you see a wrong. Don't call yourself somebody who cares about justice and you ignore one of the most cruel things that's happening in our world. You have to stand up. Secondly, we need to be ready, church, to adopt, to foster, to help pregnant women who don't know what to do, to encourage the dads who want to step out of their life or who are encouraging to get an abortion, to encourage them to actually be men and step in their life. We have to bring in people, okay? We can't say that we're against abortion, but then not be ready to do anything about the influx of unwanted pregnancies. In fact, if you personally know somebody that's thinking about getting an abortion, I would tell you to tell them to come to the church because we will find some way to take care of that child, I believe that much in our body that I would know that some way we would do something, right? We have to be willing to step up, though, right? Someone needs to step up. I want to dethrone, real quick, the common rhetoric that is used against the church that we only care about life in the womb. That's just a pathetic argument, and that's not even close to being true. And what happens is it's a sensualized statement that makes us all go, ah, and forget about the actual issue, which is the child, Okay? Christians are 2.5 times more likely to adopt or foster than non-Christians. However, when you look at Christians that are able to have biological kids and they still adopt versus non-Christians that are able to have biological kids and still adopt, some numbers say that Christians are 28 times more likely to still adopt, okay? 
We do care about it. The church is stepping up. Yes, we could probably do a better job and we can put more of our money where our mouth is, but I want to dethrone all of that because the church is trying, okay? But we need to be ready for it. That's why we're following next week up with the orphan. What do we do with that issue? How do we as a church respond with justice and mercy here? But we need to be ready to respond, okay? And then finally, friends, I want to end it here. Because I, I know this is heavy. This is so, I feel it, okay? I feel it. I know this is a heavy thing. And I know that some of you probably saw this topic on your bulletin when you walked in. You felt the heaviness of it. Maybe because of your past. Maybe because you're a man who, who you weren't ready to take the responsibility of being a father. And so you encouraged your girlfriend to get an abortion, and she did. Or maybe you're a woman who's gotten an abortion, and maybe you, you feel the weight of this in some ways. Maybe you feel the, the burden that's caused within this. Or maybe you've never wrestled with it, and it's not being brought out and forced out in some ways, and you weren't really ready for that, right? Or maybe you, you tried to forget, but you can never really forget, and then boom, now we're talking about it head on. Or maybe you're a Christian and your apathy around this is convicting you right now because you realize how apathetic you've been toward an issue that is serious, okay? Please listen to me, friends. Please. If you don't catch anything else, please listen here. Please listen. This is why the gospel is good news. I, I'm not trying to be weird cliche. Please listen to me, Okay? Whenever we say Jesus died on the cross for your sins, we believe that, but we usually never look at sin this directly in the face. We usually aren't able to drill in this deeply and to see the inhumane things that are done at the expense of our comfort or our want or whatever it may be. So when we say Jesus died on the cross for your sins, it tends to be this ethereal kind of like, oh yeah, I know, I kind of do some bad things and, and Jesus died for me, praise the Lord, Right? But, but now we're having to look right into it. Please listen, friends. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Jesus Christ was murdered so that we who commit those acts may find full freedom and forgiveness in him. Because if we took any other topic, like lying or cheating or stealing or hatred or whatever it may have been, and we drilled down this deeply, then those of us who are liars, those of us who have hated people, we would feel the weight of this too. And so I don't want to neglect this fact. This is a weighty issue, and I don't want to remove that burden or that weight. Sin is sin, and sin is heavy, and it is a destruction of what God has created and what he cares about. That is why we call it murder. But doesn't God redeem murderers? In fact, isn't 67% of Scripture written at the hands of somebody who has committed murder themselves? Paul, David, Moses... These were grown men, right? These were men that actually, some of them, they knew what they were doing, like David. He was already a believer in Yahweh and writing Psalms, and he was already there, and he still did this, and God still forgave him. There is forgiveness that is offered at the cross of Christ, and if that has never hit you before, then let it hit you now. That if you feel this weight, Jesus wants to remove that weight from you, friends. In fact, the scriptures say that it was so heavy, right? It wasn't the, the cross that he was carrying that brought this heaviness. It was the weight of our sin. And Jesus carried it, that you would feel free, that you wouldn't feel that, that, that burden anymore, that heaviness. Jesus wants to give you life and life today. And here's what we believe as believers, that because that child was life, 
And because that child did not have a chance to respond to the grace, the goodness of God, there was an inability to, just like a woman who goes through a miscarriage, man, I believe that one day, if you are a believer in Christ, you will see that boy or that girl again. And you will be there in heaven, worshiping with Jesus, feeling no guilt or shame because Jesus would have consumed that all. We'll finally be free and we'll get to rejoice forever with our child. You don't even have to feel the burden of what if. You will see it one day. You will see him or her one day. You can be free, friends. Or maybe as a, a Christian, you're, you're struggling. Maybe you haven't done this, but you haven't spoken up. Man, there is freedom for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, if you are feeling condemned right now, let me just say very blatantly, blatantly Romans 8.1 says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if you feel condemned, that is Satan trying to lie to you and deceive you that you would not hear these good news words that are coming out right now. And he wants you to feel that weight and that sin and that, that guilt, and he wants to press down on you. But Jesus came that you would have life. This is beautiful. And so now, no matter where we are in the spectrum, Jesus gives life. This is what the gospel tells us. It's just usually never this real to us because we're never talking about this direct of an issue. Let it be real, friends. Let it be heavy. And then throw that weight at the cross of Christ because he is the only one that's strong enough to carry it. We are not strong. And so if we try to carry this ourselves, we will never feel the freedom and forgiveness that Christ has to offer but if we allow Jesus to carry it, you can be free, friends. In fact, one of my family members was a strong believer, had an abortion early on. And she tried to, 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 to kind of bury that guilt and bury that weight and kind of not think about it and became a believer and never really talked about it. And it was, it was suppressed down. And as she confessed that, she said she felt free. And now she sits here and tries to help other women who are going through that. Right? She, she is serious about the legislation that would protect the unborn. And she is trying to help and encourage other women to not do this. Like, like she's free, friends. She's free from the condemnation and weight that sin brings. Sin will condemn you before a holy and just God. But you see the justice of God at Jesus Christ as our sin is poured out upon him. And you see the forgiveness and freedom of God. See, only our God is able to be just and merciful at the exact same time. That sin was paid for. That weight that you feel, somebody paid for that. And freedom is had if you are a believer in Jesus. And so we need to recognize that, friends, and, and be ready to walk in that, okay? Wrestle. Pray. I don't want to, to, to remove that weight. But I do want to tell you there's good news for every single person here today. Jesus pays. I love you guys. Let's pray. <clears throat> Friends, as we're praying, there's a, a, a woman in our church named Eileen. Some of you guys know her. I'm actually just going to ask her to stand by the water fountain after church is over today. And if you want to know about how you can serve more, she serves every other week at the Pregnancy Resource Center. She helps women who are wrestling with this get the care, the treatment they need, connect them to individuals who will help them. And so if this is something that God uh, is stirring up on your heart, I would encourage you to go talk to Eileen, you know, or maybe you will pull one of the staff aside and say, hey, I want to do something. We would love to talk about that. If you're talking about the orphan next week, I would encourage us to wrestle with how do we respond to that issue in light of this issue. But here's what I ultimately want to do, friends.
Some of you, you're feeling weightiness and heaviness, and maybe you have gotten an abortion. Maybe you've encouraged others to do it. Maybe you've been apathetic. Maybe you just, you feel the weight of sin on your heart, even right now. And here's what I want to do. I don't want you to raise your hands up high. Okay, I don't want you to do that. We're not going to do an altar call here. I want you to, to kind of raise the hands of your heart and just, just proclaim, man, I feel that weight and I feel that guilt and I feel that shame. And with your heart kind of raised up, I just want to pray healing over you right now. So if that's you, would you, would you, just, would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would heal these men and women who feel heavy that you would lay your powerful and your healing and your beautiful hands upon them, Jesus. Remove that pain, remove that condemnation, remove that, that burden. Jesus, allow them to cast it before your feet at the cross. Allow them to feel the forgiveness that they have, which is, which is theirs in Christ. Jesus, I pray that right now they would feel more free than they've ever felt before. Maybe they didn't even realize that they were carrying this weight, and today would you shove it off of them and let them feel free? I pray healing over these men and women, Jesus, because you are able to do it. Friends, as we're still praying, I also want to, to, to make notice that, man, some of us may not know Jesus, and maybe we today are recognizing what the cross of Christ was actually for. And today, friends, you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. The freedom that you feel in him is unprecedented, friends. It cannot be described. These words are failing so miserably right now. No words can talk about the freedom that we have in Christ. So, man, maybe today is the first day that you surrender your life to Christ. You say, Jesus, I want to enter into a relationship with you. And that you would, would you just pray this with me? Say something simple like, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have, I, I've done bad things. Would you please forgive me and help me to walk in a new life with you? And God, I pray for all of us in here, Lord, wherever we may be at, that we would submit ourselves to the cross, that we would find our, our freedom in you, Jesus, that you would be elevated and lifted up and highlighted and that you, God, would be our God, that we would be your people, Jesus. God, help us. Forgive us. Be our king. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.